We are extremely grateful to see everyone tonight uh, as we continue in the book of Acts, which is an exciting book. Um, the book of Acts has been a powerful book uh, to go through. Last week, we, we went through some powerful truths, um, and today we intend to do the same. We're going to start and wrap up at the end of the chapter four, and the reason we're starting at the end of chapter four, it will be more relevant as we go along into the top of chapter five. Uh, we see in the top of Acts chapter four that uh, God is moving mightily among the people, and that people are being healed and delivered, and Peter and John are going before the Sanhedrin, and they are defying the Sanhedrin, and they are preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and him risen uh, from the dead, and that is making some people very, very angry. But they have to release uh, Peter and John because they are preaching the gospel, but they are scared of the people. Uh, God is moving mightily. This is an exciting time to be in the body of Christ for the Holy Spirit has fallen and has baptized the believers and they have begun to go out and preach the gospel. And immediately they end up with 3,000 members. And the more they try to press them and pressure them down, they end up with 5,000 members. And the more they try to press them down, they end up with even more members, which means that pressure doesn't stop the church. Pressure works towards the church like pressure works towards a diamond. It only makes it better. It only makes it more valuable. It only makes it uh, be something that's going to continue throughout the world. I hear the world saying that we are pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, cast down, but not destroyed. And what that is letting us know is that as Christians, we should not run from pressure. We should not run from persecution. But sometimes we should always uh, be joyful even in our trials. James, the brother of Jesus, says, count it all joy. Consider it pure joy when you fall into all types of, of diverse temptations or in our English version, when bad stuff happens to you, when all sorts of trials and things start happening and things don't always go your way. Count it pure joy because it's going to create something better in you. Oftentimes we focus on the event rather than what the event is creating, and that's whether it be bad or whether it be good. We're always focused on the goal instead of focusing on who we will become and the process of the goal. It's about the process. So we see God beginning to birth his church, and there is no birth without birth pains. Anytime something beautiful comes through a mother, if you uh, would ask anyone who's been through motherhood. I've, I've been in the room when my wife has been given uh, given a baby, and my sweet Robin it wasn't my sweet Robin anymore during those times. It's a it's a very painful time. It's a very travailing time. It's a very crushing time. But after a moment when a baby arrives, it seems that they she forgot all of the things that she had gone through because what she held in her hand that was created and brought through a process of pain was so precious that everything else did not seem to matter. And I hear the word of God saying that I reckon that the present sufferings that we have are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. In other words, as Christians, we're going to go through some things in life. We're going to go uh, through some hard trials. We're going to be persecuted. Christianity may not always be a popular thing. And as you can see in our culture, some it seems to be declining, but that doesn't decline the church because the popular culture doesn't approve of it. You see these believers that are actually doing something something that is powerful. They are taking what they have because you have to keep into account that as the 
as new disciples come, they are being pressed away from their families because if they accept Christ, that means that they are rejecting in some ways Judaism or a form of Judaism that other people will not want to hold on to. What, what do you mean by that? Because although they are Jews and practicing Jews and they still practice the law and they go to synagogue, they are preaching the Messiah is Jesus and the Sadducees, especially one of the groups, do not like that because they do not believe in the resurrection. They will be considered what we call today liberal Christians. So many of the Christians who are holding on to Christ hold on to him at the expense of losing their loved ones, losing their families, and many of them find themselves without sources of income. Many of them find themselves in need and in lack. But I love what verse 4, verse 32 of chapter 4 says, and it says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Let's read that together because that's beautiful right there. Think about that. Everybody's going through. Everybody's going to be suffering persecution. It is not popular to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, the person who uh, starts Christianity is Jesus Christ. And less than 90 days ago, he was crucified. So the culture and the climate is not necessarily uh, the most accepting of Jesus. Although there are believers that accept Jesus, the culture at large is not a fan of Jesus. But let's see what they say. Let's read that together. All believers were one in heart and mind. You can't do anything without unity. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Stop right there. That is beautiful. Where there is not a need because not because the government stepped in, but because the body of believers in the church stepped in. There's somebody saying, hey, you have a little girl and we have little girls and our little girl can't wear these clothes anymore. So you take these clothes or, hey, I got a bonus at work and we're well off and we're, we're doing really well. And I've noticed that you come to work, all, come to church all the time and you're walking to work, walking to church and you're struggling. Me and my family would like to be a blessing to you and to help you. They have a generous heart because they are of one mind. They're unified and they are no longer, there's no longer an I. There is a we. We are the corporate body of the church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father and God of all who is above and above all and in all and through all. Pull up verse th uh, 33. We're going to read through 36. I want you to see something. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Read with me. And much grace fell upon them. Oh, that's beautiful. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. Wow. And it was distributed to anyone as he what? Had need. Let's read this together. Verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who's, uh, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is an awesome culture. That means that nobody's doing without, which means that nobody can say they exist within the body of believers and they are alone. They are connected and everybody is concerned about everybody. Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm concerned about you. Look at somebody else and say, you are not alone. Uh, oftentimes we're going through, uh, we're going through uh, the things that we're going through and we feel like we're by ourselves, but it's important. Church membership is important 
important. It's great to be on, on online, and we're online. It's great to be doing all those things and be able to watch preachers and people from all over the world, but it is important for us to be connected to a local church body because in a local church body, we find accountability, we find love, and we find support because if you'll be honest, sometimes the people in your church are closer to you than the people in your family. Sometimes we have people in our family that are in our family, and we don't get to choose those people who are in our family. But when we're connected through Christ, some people will come through for you faster than some people in your family. There are some people in your family, if you go through, you won't even pick up the phone because you know they don't care. But you know there are people within your church body that if I need them and they can answer, they'll answer. If I need them and they can help, they can help. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ is that even though I may not have a nuclear family unit, that is strong enough to support me in my needs and to help me grow to what I need to be, if I can connect to a healthy body of Christ, I can be, then plug in and I have an extended family which gives me more support and love and strength sometimes than my normal nuclear family. How many of you know you're blessed to have a church that loves you and that you can love back? Some people don't have that. They live all alone. Uh, some people don't have anybody to ever care about them or anybody to ever come see about them or anybody to ever wonder where they are. There is power in fellowship. And the, and the Bible says that all the believers were one in heart and in one mind. They had the same purpose to serve. Now, we see that something has happened. Now, I know Jesus said, and we'll look at that, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. But oftentimes, people knew what other people were given. Uh, Brother Dennis slapped his hand. <laughs> he makes me laugh. <laughs> but what that means is it has to do with more of a condition of the heart than knowing whether somebody gave this or gave that. Uh, and we'll look at that in a second. But it is often known in the early church what people are giving because it is recorded that Barnabas has sold a plot of land, and he has given that plot of land what? To the church. It is not a secret. They're not hiding it. But because that is done, there, is, there seems to be some problems that are arising in the church because many times, although Barnabas gave with a good heart, other people in the church, when we see this, this is important to know. Somebody say, my church is not perfect. If you're online, say that. Let's say it with them. My church is not perfect. Because I'm not perfect. Say that. Because I'm not perfect. The church is not perfect. The church has hang-ups. The church has people in it with all sorts of issues and all sorts of hang-ups. And that's the beauty of it. Because if it didn't, we wouldn't be allowed inside. Thank God that the church uh, is not perfect. That we're only perfect because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But some things happen in the church that don't necessarily, there aren't necessarily the funnest things that happen in the church. And the early church is not immune. You're about to see something amazing happen in the early church that, that lets you know because everybody's talking about the thing that Barnabas did. Barnabas is selling a plot of land and he's giving property and other people are doing it and everybody knows about it. So you see some other people that want to get in on it. And you see this guy named Ananias and he has a wife named Sapphira. And we're going to read this. Uh, start at Acts chapter 5 verse 1. Let's read this together because this is a wonderful story. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. 
with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Wow. A great fear seized all who heard. Y'all stop reading. Keep reading with me. What had happened? <laughs> Somebody stop reading. Somebody got scared. Let's, let's start at verse 5 and read this again. <laughs> I, all of a sudden, I realized I was reading by myself. Don't leave me alone. Here we go. Verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Don't drop out. Let's keep going. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. Now, notice that he says, why has the Satan caused you to lie to the spirit? In other words, that he recognizes that the spirit is a person that although you may fool the pastor, you're not fooling God. And here's the thing. Nobody asked them that to give everything they had. They conspired to do that. And when you read verse 32, you wonder why. Because Barnabas got his name put in the Bible, and they wanted to be like Barnabas. They wanted to be just like everybody else. Here, we're going to sell our land, and we're giving our land to everybody, and everybody's going to think we're holy and we're pious too, just like Barnabas is. But what we're going to do is we're not going to keep We're going to keep some of it back, but we'll still get the clout. They were clout chasers. They were trying to keep up with the Joneses and and when they came in they wanted to be just like Barnabas and and they decided to lie so why did they die they died because they lied to the the Holy Spirit but one of the main things they did was try to be honored by other people they had a lot of things going on in the early church they had deceit and competition I'm going to give them a second to pull up Matthew chapter 6 if you could pull up Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 1 I want to read that together with the church and we'll see something in important um, what that Jesus says and Ananias and Sapphira should have been around when Jesus said it maybe they could have been able to hear it Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 1 says this be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you will have no reward from your father in heaven 
So we're going over to verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Leave that up. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, but he's saying that it's okay that people knew that Barnabas did it. Barnabas wasn't trying to make a big deal out of it. It's hard to keep a secret when you get to people because oftentimes Jesus would heal people and he said, go and what? Tell no one. <laughs> but when you do good things, people are going to find out about it. If the church is feeding the hungry or feeding the poor and doing good things like Christ would want them to do, people are going to find out about it. That's not the problem that people find out about it. The problem is your motive with why you're doing what you're what? Doing. Are you giving because you love the Lord? Or are you giving so somebody can say how much you give? Because he says not to be what? Seen or honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees in secret uh, what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, search your motives to make sure that when you're giving, you're giving for the right what? reasons. He didn't say don't give. He didn't even say that it wouldn't be found out that you would give. What he said is that your motive matters. Everybody said motive matters. The motive mattered and Ananias and Sapphira lied to God about what they were trying to do and because they sought the pleasure and the approval of people more than they did of God, guess what happens? They end up dying. Do you not know generosity is something that God encourages? I encourage you to be as generous as you can. Robin and I try to be generous givers. But did you know that most of the generous givers who have a gift of giving oftentimes are anonymous? You will never know how much they give. And one of the reasons you won't know is because they don't want everybody coming to ask them for, for stuff. But, but, but there are some generous givers. And God blesses and loves generosity. But when we give, the Bible says, let no man give. Uh, let every man give as he has purpose and it's hard to give. In other words, before you put anything online and click and give by planning center or before you drop something in the, the, those giving towers or whatever the case may be, you should search your motive in your heart. Why? Everybody repeat after me. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is just as much worship as raising your hands. Actually, it's more. Because it's something that's on the inside. It's an outward expression of what is on the inside. We often say, Lord, I'm, I give you my what? Heart. I give you my How many of you ever said that, Lord, you can have all my heart? You can have my heart, my mind, my soul, my body. We, we say, God, you can have all my heart, right? But the Bible says, Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So we can say, Lord, I love you as much as you want to, but give me your checkbook or your bank statement, and I can tell you where your heart really is. I love you, Jesus. And I tithe to, I tithe to Ciro's. I tithe to all my favorite restaurants like Betty Ross. I tithe, to, I tithe to McDonald's and Popeye's and churches. I tithe to Taco Bell. I tithe to the Tigers. And they don't even win. I tithe, I tithe please don't tithe to the Lions because that's just a poor waste of money. I tithe to all these people. I give this tithe. That's what I'm giving. I'm giving more than a tenth of my money to entertainment. I tithe to Disney Plus and Hulu and Netflix. I tithe to the grocery store. I tithe to everybody else. I tithe to entertainment. I tithe to books. I tithe to traveling. And when I get to church, I tip. 
And then I pretend like got to God, well, if God says, is that all there is? Yeah, that's it. God is not necessarily as interested in the gift as to the part of the heart because where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be. So he doesn't even call us just the tithe. The Bible says where sin abound, grace more abounds, which means that you shouldn't be arguing about whether or not tithing is of the law because tithing is just the floor. For whom as much is given, much is what? Required. So if you are really giving of your heart, you're not saying how little I can give. You're saying how what? Much can I give? He sold the whole field and gave it away. They sold, but they wanted to be seen. And God is saying, I'm looking at your motives. How much do you spend on everything else? All that other stuff is inherently of itself, not bad. Nothing wrong with eating out, nothing wrong with going places and doing things and having fun. God has allowed us to enjoy the, the money that he's allowed us to have, but are we proportionally worshiping him through our what? Giving. And are we honest? That's what killed Ananias and Sapphira. They were dishonest. They were lying among themselves. And how many of us lie to ourselves? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but that's a, that's a thought process, isn't it? Are we really giving the best we can give to God? Are we really serving as much as we can serve in the church? Let's just take it away from the money for a second. Let, am I really giving as much service as I really could give? Or am I just saying I could give as much as I can and make excuses for why I don't. Well, we came from, we used to say excuses, nothing but a dressed up lie. <laughs> and, and somebody else gave me another definition that said that uh, the bishop gave me this, one of the bishops, he said that an excuse, let me get it right, is a lie dressed in the skin of a reason. <laughs> I like that. But what, I, what this teaches us is that great fear sees people because they realize something. Walking with God is not a joke. This is serious. Everybody say, this is serious. God is serious business. When we come in here, we honor God. We serve a holy God. And that word fear means admiration. And we respect God. This is just because we have grace doesn't mean we continue to sin. Shall we continue, therefore, in sin that grace abound? God what? Forbid. Because as much as God is a loving God, he is a God of mercy and he's a God of love. And I'll give my uh, people that say that they only read the New Testament. You notice that this happened in the New Testament. But they were under grace. Yeah, they were under grace. We just read about all the grace that was abounding on them. Oh, God won't kill us now. We're under grace. Well, he's not likely to probably. We don't see that happen as much, but we never know what will happen, and that's not to scare us. The point is that we should take our worship and our giving of ourselves and our lives to God seriously. It's not a joke. It's not something that we just set aside, and that's what the, the disciples were trying to get across, and that's what God was letting these people know in this, this new, new, new fledgling church, that if you're going to serve me, this is serious, and there's no point for playing games. Let's keep going. We're going to go on. The apostles did heal many people, and we see in chapter 5, verse 12, and some of these things I'm going to go over, and you can come back and read later, that many people were, they were healed 
because of the miraculous signs and wonders that the apostles did. And I put down a note in my Bible that says a church empowered by the spirit gets results. I'm so grateful that God, since we've been here, we've seen God heal people that have had trouble being healed. And we've seen God do some miraculous things in this church. And we're grateful to him for doing those things. But guess what? When those things happen, when the spirit is in power, God determines how fast. But eventually people are going to be what? Drawn. People are going to be drawn in because the miracles aren't ever about lifting up people. The miracles are about lifting up Christ. And, and, and all those miracles, when you see that, it gives you an opportunity to say, don't look at me, but look at Jesus. It's Jesus who has healed you. But along with those things come persecution. Let's read verse 17 in chapter 5. Let's read that together. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Oh, wow. They're mad because uh, the, the, the new church in town is getting more members than they are, and, they, and stuff is happening, and they're filled with jealousy. So do they act like good Christians? Let, let's see what they did. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the city jail. <laughs> God's moving. People are being healed. And do they try to promote it? No. Because they're jealous and their theology is wrong, they try to attack it. There are people who, who might think they love God but have wrong theology. And while God is moving, they will seek to discredit those things because God is not moving in them. They assume that God doesn't move in other what? People. And so they put them in jail and they tell them not to speak and, um, of, of, of the words of God and about Jesus. And they put them in the jail... <laughs> And let's look at verse 21. We're going to read this because this is funny. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told and began to teach the people. Uh, and so you'll know, they put them in jail. The angel just broke them out. So they just made a jailbreak. <laughs> when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of Israel, of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail, this is verse 23, securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Wow. On hearing this report, the certain, uh, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Let's see where they are. Verse 25. Let's read this together. This is awesome. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with the officers and brought the other apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Wait a minute. They were trying to stone people, and now they're scared that the people are going to stone them because they know that God is moving. Let me tell you something. When you follow God and God works for you, people may not like it, but sometimes the Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Because sometimes people might not like you, but if they see God working in your life, it's not that they fear you, but they're scared if I touch you that God may not like it and he might do something to me. So sometimes your enemy 
enemies are at peace with you, not because they like you, but because they respect the God that's in you. And you cannot deny when God is working in somebody. You oftentimes we get into parts where we're trying to fight our own battles. Stop trying to fight your own battle and, and do what God has called you to do and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. And sometimes your enemies will be scared to touch you, but they went ahead and they touched the disciples, but they, they, they took them nicely because they didn't want anybody to, 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 to break them down. Verse 27, what does it say? Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin and to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Uh-oh, we see the true reason. It's not about the good stuff. It's, it's about them. They're guilty. A lot of people have a lot of reasons for why they don't go to church. This is just an aside, a free one. But a lot of times the reason they don't go to church is because they don't like the truth. And the truth might make them feel condemned or guilty and they don't want to accept Jesus. They want to live the way they want to live and do what they want to do. And the power of God will show that up in them. And so they get offended by that. A lot of people aren't offended by you because you're you. They're offended by you because of the gospel that you represent. Powerful, isn't it? And so Peter goes back and he uses this ever-present and ever-famous line. Peter and the other apostles reply, we all must obey God rather than men. Hmm. How many of us still follow that today? There may come a time when the government asks you to do something, because this is their government, the Sanhedrin is their local government. There may come a time when the government asks you or sanctions something, that goes against the word of God. And who are you going to obey? The government might call something legal that God says is horrible. Whose voice will you obey? Just know if you obey God's voice, it may come with persecution. But that's all right. Because God has a crown for us and ever present. These are exciting times. You know why? It's a very exciting time to be a Christian because this is a spot where Christians can no longer hide. There's an old joke. A man came in. He walked into a no hiding place. That's it. There's a joke. A man walked into the back of a church one day. And he said, I want to know who in here who loves Jesus. And everybody raised their hand. He reached in his coat and pulled out an AK-47 or some kind of gun and started shooting there and said, how many of y'all want to die for him? And immediately the church just began to empty out. <laughs> out of this church full of hundreds of people, there were just a few people, a few little meager people sitting in the corner. And he walked over to them and he said, you love Jesus? And they said, yes, we do. He said, you willing to die for Jesus? They said, yes, we are. He put his gun down and sat down and said, good, now that all the fake people gone, let's have some church. <laughs> these times are exciting times because these times will winnow out and weed out people who aren't really Christian because it is no longer popular to be Christian. It is no longer popular to stand on Christian values. The world says that what God says is wrong. And if you say it, you're unloving or unkind. And you may lose jobs. You may lose life. You may, you may lose all sorts of things. So it is no longer cool to be a Christian. So now if you're in Christ and you're really open with your Christianity, that means that you are really risking some things. These people risk their life, but your livelihood is your life. If you take a man's job, you take all that he has to 
to provide for him, you have essentially taken his life. And people can really lose their livelihoods for standing on the word of God now. But it's an exciting time because the disciples were excited. Why? They said, we got to suffer for what? Jesus. Don't suffer just for being dumb, but suffer. <laughs> suffer for Jesus. If you have to, that doesn't mean you have to go out and pick fights and find fights. And, and that doesn't mean you have to hop on every Facebook post and, and, and be a social media warrior and try to change people's opinions about people who really don't care what you think. And you're not going to change them. But if the time will come to stand on the word of God, you must remember this, that it is better to obey God than man. Fear not him that can kill the body, but fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell undying allegiance to Jesus. I have undying allegiance to Jesus. Whatever that may cost, I have undying allegiance to Jesus. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you get everything right, but you are, ha you are decided that I am going to be connected to Christ no matter the cost. Let's look at Acts chapter 6 because because of what they are doing, I want to look at verse 41 of uh, uh, verse 5 because this is very humiliating and demoralizing to the church folks that the Sadducees that keep trying to put them down and they're trying to beat them and they're trying to whip them and they're trying to threaten them and do all these things. And after that, they, they go out and they say, uh, um, I, I want to go back. Excuse me. I want to read something uh, from Gamaliel. Or I'm just going to bring your attention to it. Gamaliel is a teacher of the law. Gamaliel is a person who taught Paul himself. Gamaliel is brilliant. And it is believed that Gamaliel's grandfather was, was a very famous Jewish sage. So Gamaliel is a very wise person. So they put those people out and they put them out and they want to talk about it. And Gamaliel gives them some very wise counsel. He says, your best bet would be to leave these people alone because if they are not real, guess what? It'll dissipate. We see people come up all the time and say they're the Messiah. They've seen their share of Jim Joneses and, 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 and things like that, or David Koresh's. They've seen all sorts of false prophets that are raised, but when they died, the, the, the things dispersed. And he said, if you really believe Jesus is dead, now this is going to disperse. But if it is of God, you probably are going to have a huge issue if you try to fight them. So you'd be best to leave them alone. Do they listen to Gamaliel? No. They decide, we'll listen to half of what he said. We're gonna, we'll let them go, but we're going to whoop them first. They didn't vote uh, like the Sanhedrin was supposed to do. Uh, they just decided, we're going to whip these people. And when we put this whipping on them, maybe they'll think twice before they talk about Jesus again. Hmm. Let's see. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Wow. You can't stop somebody who truly believes in Jesus. You can't stop somebody who truly believes that Jesus Christ saved their life and saved their soul. You can't truly stop somebody who's had a genuine conversion experience. You can beat them. You can belittle them. You can do whatever you can. But guess what? There's something within them that's going to keep them pushing to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And let's see what they did because they just whipped them and ordered them not to speak in the name. Their government has just given them punishment. They have caned them. They have whipped them essentially. And they have 
have told them not to speak about Jesus anymore, not only do they go out happy that they have been beaten, nothing more is demoralizing than hitting somebody in the face and they look at you and smile. Uh, that, that said that what I did to you had no effect. They go out and they're excited about the gospel. And let's see what, let's read verse 42. Let's read what happens right there. That's exciting. It says, every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that the Messiah is Jesus. They were unbothered and unfazed. Their government attacked them. The Sanhedrin Council is the, is the small government inside of Judea. Of course, Rome is the overarching government, but Rome is going to let them do whatever they want to do as long as they don't cause any trouble, and they'll let them keep their gods and things like that as long as they pay tribute to Rome. So their government has taken them, beat them, put them in jail, told them don't talk about Jesus anymore, and they continue to defy the government to preach Jesus. And because they're doing that, the church will grow. There will be a time when you may feel discouraged and often told not to talk about Jesus. I'll never forget the horror I felt when my, my young daughter, my oldest, came home and told me she was reading her Bible in class. And her teacher told her, you might want to put that up because that may offend some people. <laughs> and thank God for a nice wife who told me that I shouldn't go to the school. <laughs> And go tell the teacher what I really thought. <laughs> but she continued in her faith. But the key is that if you're a real Christian and you're for real, for real, you're not worried about the, what the world says. You're not worried about popularity. You're not worried about gaining clout. You're worried about what God thinks of you. And when you have a movement like that full of people, the church can't help but grow because you become an infectious church. When you really believe enough in Jesus that you're willing to die for him or you're willing to lose a job for him or you're willing to lose popularity for him, something inside you will become infectious among other people. And so we see that the church is growing and now they have administrative issues. The church is getting too big to handle. We see thousands of people coming to the church, and we'll be talking about this in our spiritual gifts uh, sermons coming soon. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 6. I intended to get a lot further. I don't think I'm going to get that far, but we're going to try. Let's read. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Hmm. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. We see that they're going about, and we saw that nobody had any need. Nobody had any lack. So what are they doing? They're going about, and they're feeding everybody. But what most people don't realize is that during Jesus' time, a lot of Jews don't speak Hebrew. As a matter of fact, no Jews speak Hebrew. Jews speak Aramaic, and they speak Greek which is the, the language of the day. They're what you call Hellenistic Jews. That does not mean they're not from Israel. If you go to Jerusalem right now and look at a bunch of first century tombstones, they're not written in Hebrew, they're written in Greek. <laughs> so they're speaking Greek, and so you have Hellenistic Jews. It is not until the Jews are brought back 
through prophecy in 1948 that they go back and start to really learn the original language, the Hebrew language, that you will hear that now that if you go to Tel Aviv or somewhere and you start talking to an Israelite, you will, or somebody that's Hebrew or Jewish, you will talk to them in the same language that Moses talked to the children of Israel. That's the only culture that has their original language from thousands of years ago. The only one who has an original language, but during Jesus' time, they spoke Aramaic and they spoke Greek because Aramaic was a trade language. It's akin to Hebrew. As a matter of fact, Late speaks Aramaic. He speaks uh, Aramaic and, and uh, Arabic and English. So Late speaks two more languages than I do. I'm, I'm stuck at one. I can speak a little bit of broken Spanish and get around a little chichewa if I need to do some evangelizing. But uh, other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a one-trick pony. When that, come, when that comes to it, but now there's a problem because they're distributing food, but they can't distribute food. Why? Because the, the people that are coming saying, I need food, they don't understand what they're saying. There's a problem. It's an administrative problem, and so it's important for the disciples, and you would think in today's culture, a lot of times we get the, the role of a pastor confused. Now, these are all, all the things I'm going to name, I'm going to tell you I love to do, so don't think I'm saying I don't like to do them. And, and there are things that pastors can do, and that's wonderful. But sometimes if a pastor's doing that, he can't do what he's really called to do. I love to go visit people. I love to talk to people at the hospitals and stuff. As a matter of fact, I probably know my way to more hospitals than anywhere else. I spend a good amount of time in them. If a member isn't there, one of my kids seems to be in them for some reason, <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> Getting, getting, getting hurt. Pastors are supposed to go pray for people and help people and things like that. But have you ever thought about if your pastor is always out visiting people, when do they have time to study the word? Have you ever thought about if your pastor is always out helping you? How do you prepare for the sermons? Who's there? You go. Who's helping the pastor? So a lot of times, the reason a lot of churches don't grow as much is because churches are stunted because the food they get is short. Why? Because the pastor's trying to be all things to all people, and things won't get done. Let's look at Hebrews, uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We'll see this. That sounds cruel, but let's see what the disciples say. Now, think of this. I want you to put this in frame of mind. These are hungry widows that need food, and they come to the disciples, and they say that they're being overlooked. This is a real problem. This is a real serious issue. They're being overlooked in the daily food distribution. People could go hungry. Now, let's see how the disciples, let's see how the pastors respond to that. Let's look at verse 2. Then the twelve, read that together. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. If you could pull up that power principle if you, if you have it up there. I don't know if they put it up there, but I want to look at it. Let's, let's read that. We must be able to distinguish between importance and assignment. Just because something is important does not mean it is our assignment. That's why it's important for the church to function and everybody to function in their spiritual gifts because the pastor's primary function is to bring the word, to study the word, and to feed the word as a shepherd. What about going to see the sick? 
I often remember a lot of times when I was young, they would have deacons, and these deacons would get down through what we call devotion. I grew up Baptist, and they they pray for hours, sitting down there, and they'd be on their knee, and they they pray all these prayers, and they would often say, Lord, I need you to go by the hospital, and I need you to go by the convalescent home, and Lord, she's shaking her head. She's been, Lord, I need you to go by the sick room, and I know you'll be a lawyer in a what? courtroom and a doctor in a sick room and you'll be a friend to the friendless. Lord, go down to the orphanage and, and, and go there. And even as a little kid, I said, if the Lord gone all these places, where you going? <laughs> it's our job. And what the disciples have said is these things are not, it's not that they're not important, but they're not our assignment. And if the church grows, we'll realize, and I'm not saying this for self-serving reasons, it's just the truth. You can read it there. My job, or whoever's bringing the Word's job, is to work on the Word and feed. There are other people that are supposed to be praying. There are other people that are supposed to be serving. There are other people that are supposed to be visiting the sick. Some people will get upset if the pastor don't show up and visit me. It is not the pastor's job to show up and visit you. That makes you mad. But if the truth hurts, it just hurts. It's the pastor's job to raise up leaders and to raise up people and servants in the church, and they're supposed to be visiting you. And if you're not sick, you're probably one of those what? People. Let's read that verse 2 again so we can read that. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. That's not our assignment. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. Keep going. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching of the ministry. In other words, that's not our job. And that's hard to say in churches because most churches will, will put a pastor on the cross if he said, that's not my job. But that's not his job. That's your job. It's your job to see the sick. You have just as much power as the pastor. You can lay hands on the sick if you believe in God and they'll recover. It's your job to visit people when they're lonely and when they're sick. Now, you still call me. I like it. I'm kind of quirky like that. I like to talk to people. I like to visit people. Uh, I, I, I have just that type of heart. But imagine if the church continues to grow, it wouldn't be physically possible. That's why it's important for each church member to engage and use their own gifts because each one of us can help. Now, I just threw 50 years of, of church culture on his head. <laughs> but that's not the way we do it. But when you know better, you what? We all read that on the screen, didn't we? When you know better, you do better. And oftentimes the reason we do it is because our pastors are loving and we love the people and we won't say anything. And we bear burdens for people and actually we're robbing those people because if I'm always going out laying hands on the sick, I'm always loving on people, that's a blessing that you miss out on. Because God wants to use you too. He wants to give you some of that exciting life. Amen? Let's keep going. 
Let's keep going. Verse 5. Uh, it says, the proposal pleased the whole company. What? So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. In other words, he wasn't a Jew. He converted to Judaism. So that, that that's the... Yeah, I don't 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 feel bad. I I had to I had to work the same while too. <laughs> but what's happening is that they're having administrative issues. These are everybody said growing pains. So I'll put this in plain English. The church is growing and everybody is not working in their gift and we're feeling the pressure and the stress from it. Shameless plug for the sermon series that's coming up. So what you need to do is find some people that are Holy Spirit filled. And, and y'all go find them. I'm not going to find them. Why? Because y'all among the people, and you, you know these people. We're not going to find them. Y'all go find them. Y'all know the people who have servants' hearts that are full of the Holy Spirit. Bring them to us, and then we will do what the ancient Jewish tradition would do, the laying of hands or the transference or the, the blessing or ordaining of somebody, which means that I'm setting you apart for what? Service. Not setting you, if you make a deacon, you're not making a deacon so they can run a church and be a boss and pat their pocket and, and be in charge. That's what not what deacons are for. Deacons are for service. Jesus says, whoever must become great among you must be what? A servant. So the highest among you must wash feet. How about that? And they laid their hands on them. How are we for time? I'm almost out of time. I'm going to get to this because this is a very, uh, very good catalyst. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, that the word of God had spread. And there was one of those deacons who was so full of the spirit that he began to go out preaching. Let's read that together. We'll read it together. We can all, I like to read together. That makes sure we're active. Let's read. So the preaching about God flourished. The numbers of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Keep going. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some from what is called the Freedmen Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, and came forward and disputed with Stephen. Keep going. But they were not able to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. They tried to, just, they tried to debate with him, but the Holy Ghost just wouldn't, let, just wouldn't let them win. The freedmen were a group of Jews who were slaves and because of Rome, Rome had freed them. Verse 11, then they induced men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Let me put that in plain English. They paid people to lie. When they couldn't get their way and God was working and working the way they didn't want to, they went around and got people to lie and spread lies. If I can't, if I can't stop him, I kill his character, I kill him. So I take his influence and I take his freedom. And they spread lies. So they brought these people before the Sanhedrin. And uh, let's see what they said. Verse 12. Uh, well, verse 12, yeah. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They went around to everybody's house trying to, trying to stir up dirt and lies on people. Y'all don't know anybody like that, do you? Y'all haven't never met nobody like that, have you? <laughs> they smile at everybody at church, but they're they around in other, everybody else's living room when ain't nobody else to see to stir up mess and confusion. Thank God we don't have those type of people. But have you ever seen people like that? 
They try their best to kill somebody because they're angry. Let's see. Let's keep going. Verse 13, they produce false witnesses who testify, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like that of an angel. They are trying to persecute Stephen because they have ill agendas. And when you can't beat somebody... You generally, but you know what most people start doing when when the when they start losing arguments, they start yelling and cussing because they can't they don't have anything else to say. So they resort to violence, they resort to anger or deceit. You can always tell when somebody lost a, lost a uh, lost an argument because those four letter words and compound cuss words start coming out because they don't have anything else to do. So I'm gonna just cuss you out, and then I feel good about the fact that I can't I can't beat you. <laughs> And this is what essentially they've done. They didn't have an argument against Christianity, and so they brought lies against him. And I'll let you guys read verse 7 because I want to finish up to chapter 8. Uh, but basically, he gives them a history lesson. He goes back and talks to them about the history. Now, if I pass by verse uh, chapter 7, when y'all read chapter 7, go home and read chapter 7 at night. It's a wonderful chapter. And if you ever have trouble catching up on what's really in the Bible, he basically goes all the way through from uh, from Moses on and uh, Abraham on and talks about how Abraham lived and how, how Isaac and Jacob lived. He goes all the way through, and then he begins to talk about Jesus, and he talks about how they... they actually turned on Jesus and they turned their back on Jesus and they rejected Jesus and he goes through the prophets and all the stuff but I'm gonna go to verse 51 let's see how he ends up his sermon let's see how he closes he doesn't sound like much of a Baptist preacher to me Baptist preachers usually are hollering and, and happy and stuff like that and that's the celebratory time let's see how celebratory he is let's see how he ends his sermon Verse 51, let's read it. You stiff-necked people <laughs> with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your forefathers did. So do you. He's not trying to get repeat visitors. How about that? Let's go to verse 52. We're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter, and that's where we're going to stop tonight. Verse 52 says... Can they get it? Acts chapter 7, verse 52. There it is. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the directions of the angels and yet have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. He's going to get an angry email on Monday. But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, now stop right there. That's important. Because a throne is for what? Sitting. Jesus is standing. We often see people say, well, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus stood up for Stephen. He knew Stephen was coming home. Priest 
stand. He's the priest. The position of a priest is the position of standing. There are in the temple, there were no seats around. So this priest stands up. He gets Jesus' attention that this should be known, that sometimes when you tell the truth, you're going to make people mad. You're going to make them want to hate you. You're going to make them want to hurt you, and they will sit down on you. But I encourage you that if you stand up for the truth and people sit down on you, Jesus will stand up for you. But if you just keep giving the truth, sit down on me if I tell the truth. That's fine. Shout me down if I tell the truth. That's fine. But if I tell the truth when it's unpopular, Jesus will stand up and he'll welcome me home because I have to give an account for it and you have to give an account on the day of judgment. Did you stand when it was hard? Did you stand when you faced opposition? It's easy to love Jesus in this building full of Christians, but is it easy to love Jesus on your job where all of the culture in the job is saying, do everything that God said, don't do. Approve and affirm everything that God said don't approve and don't affirm and if you don't do it you're going to lose everything you hold dear I've come to tell you that if you will stand up for Jesus Jesus will stand up for you Jesus stands up he sees a vision and God opens the windows of heaven and lets him look into another realm and dimension. And before they get ready to kill him, he sees Jesus and he's excited. Let's see what happens to him. Verse uh, 57. Let's read. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 57. Then they screamed at the top of their voices, stopped up their ears and rushed together against him. They canceled him. Wow. Cancel culture isn't new. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to take your life and your livelihood because what you're preaching about this Jesus goes against everything we want and every way we want to live. Cancel culture is not new. Dave Chappelle wasn't the first person to stand up against cancel culture. Stephen was. He's considered the first martyr or the first witness. Somebody's asking themselves, who's Dave Chappelle? (laughs) It's time for us to stop letting the world tell us what's okay and what's acceptable. They got mad at him. Let's see what they do. Verse 58, they threw him out of the city and began to stone him. But let's see what that is. They take big stones, hit him in the skull and in the body until he's dead. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to stop there tonight. Can you imagine? That although it looks like they're winning, Can you imagine it going through your mind, everybody saying, hold my coat while you watch somebody murder somebody? (laughs) Later, we'll see that that Saul goes on to try to kill Christians himself and persecute them and put them in jail. And when God is through with him, he'll become one of the greatest apostles there ever was. He'll write over two-thirds of the New Testament. You may be on the wrong track now. You may be listening under the sound of my voice, and you may be on the wrong track. 
and feel like God can't use you and you're too far away. But I went down to the records and everybody that I found, from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob, to David, to Noah, to Paul, to Peter. Jesus never picked the white-collar type people. They were always a little rough around the edges. Peter's cutting off people's ears and cussing them out. <laughs> David, I'm not going to even start with David. David had, had a long laundry list of stuff, but yet he was a man after God's own heart. Even Noah had a little problem with the wine. All of them had issues, but God used them mightily. Why am I saying that? Because there are some of you in here who've had issues, and you think that the issues you have stop you from serving God. Absolutely, they do not serve him all the more harder because guess what you get to say if God can save somebody like me he can save anybody Stephen's death was not in vain no doubt as Paul walked around persecuting Christians he couldn't get the thought out of his mind how is this man who could just walk away who could just say, okay, don't cancel me. Who could just say, okay, I want to keep my job. Whatever you say. He stands up and gives up everything for this one person named Jesus. No doubt that plagued him and haunted him in his dreams that he saw, as he sided the coats and held coats and watched that man as his skull cracked open while they hit him with rock after rock after rock after they looked at him lose consciousness and they see the, 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 the straw that breaks the camel's back. This man who says he's looking at God himself and nobody is wise enough to beat him, but this is what he says as he begins to die. He says, forgive them, God. What draws people to Jesus sometimes is the ministry of suffering. I'm not telling you to be ascetic and go out and make yourself suffer for no reason. But when people really are drawn to Christianity, it's because they watch how you handle the hard times. They watch if you can suffer well. Those two words don't even go together, do they? They watch how you go through hard trials. And they see whether or not you will come through them. Do you really believe in the God you said you believe in? Will you really fight back? Will you really stand? I ask you that question today. Do you really believe? Are you willing to die for what you believe? Are you willing to lose for what you believe? If you are, the Bible says that he that loves his life will lose it. But he who will lose his life for my sake will find it. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Are you ready to lay your life down so that he can give you new life? God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're saying on all of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that what's been implanted in our hearts as we get ready for fun and fellowship at this time, Lord God, 
won't be erased by the fun and fellowship, but they will linger on the way home when we will ask ourselves, how far am I willing to go for the love of Jesus? That we will spread the gospel and we will bring friends and we're willing to do the most because we really believe. Let your spirit cover your people and those that hear. Lord, I pray that somebody that hears this tonight on the live stream or later will give their life to you. Will turn aside all hatred and turn to you. Will lay aside all lust and fleshliness, all pride, all malice. Repent of those things, change their mind, and turn to you. We love you, God, and we thank you for your love. We give you praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.